0: That's my theme song. It's 10 a.m. Eastern Time. It's Friday morning. Guess where I am? Just below the roof, above the second floor. It's your boy, Tommy D., the Nonprofit Sector Connected, coming at you. That's right. From the attic. And every single Friday morning at 10 a.m., I bring in, into the attic for a visit another leader, another pioneer, from the nonprofit sector. You know how passionate I am about this sector. You know, I say that unfortunately, nonprofits are overlooked at times, underfunded, and unrecognized. And my answer to that, to amplify their missions and messages, is philanthropy and focus, P H O C U S. That's right. You know, I was born in 78, grew up in the 80s and 90s. Remember fat P-H-A-T? That was a thing. So we used to write that on, on our notebooks and stuff. So plus I like alliteration, definitely uh, my favorite grammatical tool. In fact, uh, I don't think I have any other grammatical tools I care much about. I just like <laughs> alliteration. So welcome to The Attic, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, here we are and we are ready to amplify. So I'm going to tell you a quick story, Um, how I met. The organization we're going to be speaking with today, really, and, and the gentleman who's here with me virtually, that is, in the attic. So um, you may not know this, and I don't know that I've shared much here on the program about the networking group, TNG, something I'm very involved with. I'm involved with the leadership of this organization. It's a national networking organization that operates from local communities. Uh, we're in eight different cities right now. It's spanning out to the West Coast, a couple more cities coming online uh, in the month of May. So very exciting. But I tell you that just to sort of set up this whole thing about how uh, Michael and I, Michael, my guest today, and I had, had connected. And it is all about connecting, as you know, I say that all the time. So first, what happened was uh, my friend, Michael Goldberg of of TNG, founder of TNG, and Laney Goldberg had said, well, we have this upcoming virtual holiday event for TNG, the networking group, and we'd like to align ourselves with a nonprofit organization. And what happened was, uh, Michael grew up and, and worked for many, many years in the restaurant business, Michael Goldberg that is, and, and I certainly, maybe we'll get into it today, but I grew up in my Uncle Joe's place in Floral Park, and it was called Halligan's, and I spent a lot of time, uh, well, I started there bussing tables, I mean, I was washing dishes in a deli when I was 13, bussing tables, like 15 in the uh, in the restaurant, and by the time I was 18... You know, I was ten to bar four nights a week, and i don 't know if that was legal or not, but I was doing it. I think it was okay. Um, if I was drinking probably was uh, was not legal, but I did not drink when I was underage okay everybody's so relaxed so networking to me is about learning and helping and and it, what kind of came out of this opportunity is um, is Michael and Laney found this organization um, called Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, and this totally resonated with me personally because I grew up in the biz and, and spent a lot of time behind the stick, as we say. And um, and at our event, what we did was all the money that was our our uh, call it the tickets that were sold for our holiday event. TNG decided to take those dollars and match those dollars and write a check to the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. Now, that for for, for me, if you know me in person or you've been listening the last seventeen weeks to this program, you know I can't let it stop there. It's like, oh wait a minute, hold on, there's more here. I love this organization. I love what they're doing. How do we how do we next make an impact? So so uh John debarry was was originally uh our guest at the tng event back towards mid mid end of december and uh and then I've connected with Michael Romali and I'm doing my best to pronounce that I've been practicing Michael on that right pretty good I got a thumbs up so we're good there guys so if you're not watching I did it right yay <laughs> um so so Michael Romali and I connected uh i guess a couple months back and and the the unique situation with this program is uh I'm booking out so far in advance because um well there's only a Friday every at the end of every week. It's not. there's not multiple Fridays. So, um, so Michael and I met and we had we connected. And I said, "Look, I really like what you're doing. We obviously want to get this the money out and support the organization. But I, I'd love to go one, two, three steps further down the line and get you on the program. And that's really what brings us here today. So, Michael, before I even jump into reading your bio and stuff, my favorite thing to do, and I used to say this before I actually had a program because it was kind of my, the whole, my whole life is the Tommy D show. So I would say, welcome to the show. So Michael, welcome to the show. Welcome to my attic.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm glad you're here. I'm excited. I love the picture behind you. We've talked about it in the past. What is that? Of, what is a picture?
1: Uh, it is a photograph of a uh, Olafur Eliasson uh, exhibit at the Tate Modern that my husband took 20 years or so ago.
0: Giant. You must have a very large camera.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think the camera was like probably like a pretty early pixel out version, like low, not that big a pixel version back in 2003 or something like that. So uh, the camera itself is a standard camera. <laughs> I love the picture. You didn't
0: expect that one. I just tricked yeah. you. On <laughs> Well, I'm excited to have you here. I am going to read some of your background and sort of set the stage. Like I tell everybody, you know, what what we talk about here on this program is we certainly talk about our guests and their background and and how they're connected to to my favorite, the nonprofit sector. Um, We talk about the history of the organization. We talk about the programs, the impact that the organization is making. And this organization has made an incredible impact both on restaurants directly and restaurant workers as well. And we're going to dive into that. And then we talk about, Where's the organization going? What's the future of the organization? And my favorite piece is always, who do you need to meet and who do you need to connect with? And we kind of pepper that through. We'll weave that through the conversation, I'm sure. But I always want to make sure we definitely hit upon that towards the end. So that kind of sets the stage. I'm going to just read some background. So I'm telling you guys I'm reading. So if my eyes are not staring at you guys, it's because I'm reading. So Michael Hamill Romali is a board vice president and fundraising committee chair of Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. For the first three years of this organization's of, of the first three years of its growth, Michael is board treasurer and lead consultant to the RWCF. I'm going to call it that, so we save a couple minutes. As an independent consultant to nonprofits and philanthropic organizations, his firm, Hamel Romali, he has worked with a client roster that includes the New York Community Trust, BridgeSpan, J.M. Kaplan Fund, Public Agenda. And the Support Center for Nonprofits and Inside Philanthropy, I think we have a qualified guest, ladies and gentlemen. I said to Michael earlier, I said, this is not going to be just about our WCF because I know that the people who listen to this show and will listen to this show are people who want to support nonprofits, yes, but they're also nonprofit leaders because – that's who I like to hang around with, so that's who follows what we're doing over here. So, Michael's going to share some of his thought leadership, and and I um, I expect down the road that I'm going to convince him to to speak in front of a bunch of nonprofits for, for me at some point. I love how I just put people right on the spot, so they so they can't they can't wiggle away. So um, previously, he was a senior vice president for public policy and communications for Philanthropy New York, which is a regional association for grantmakers, and prior to being over at Philanthropy New York. Michael led the Hamill Ramilly consulting practice with nonprofits uh, and foundations with clients, such as the communications network, center for effective philanthropy, grant makers, excuse me, grant makers for education, public interest project, and on and on and on. So we'll get, I, and I say on and on, not to just, Say it like it isn't important, but when I bring on people who are so impactful in this sector, the laundry list is long. We can go into these accolades. But you know what? Me reading it is not as exciting for Michael telling us the story or you hearing Michael tell us the story. So that's it. Let's let's jump in. We'll get into the organization later on. I always start here. Why nonprofit? I have this little quote. I have this little thing, The story I could tell. And you start us off. And if, if you don't do the quote, I'll do it later on. But wh- how does it start? How does a life in philanthropy begin?
1: Uh, well, I guess I have to thank my do-gooder Unitarian parents who, like, made me believe that, like, and one, a human being, had an obligation to do leave the world a slightly better place than you came into. Um, so that was one thing. And I, um, undergraduate, uh, was a journalism and public relations major. And I graduated from Temple University in in 1991, which was a a, um, a, a bit of a recession at the time. And I'd done all these like internships, and uh, I couldn't get a job in journalism or public relations and so i started waiting tables as one does uh and i i swear to god i've never been so flush with cash because i was like waiting tables at a lunch place it all monday through friday um, and then like going to tji fridays to work the dinner shift Ice. like seven days a week so i had i was just like making a lot of cash and earning two dollars and one cent 13 cents an hour which is the sub minimum wage for tip workers um, yeah so there was all that and um, I definitely decided that I when I got fired from TGI Fridays for complaining about a of customer not giving me a tip I um, realized that I was not suited to work in the service industry but it was definitely a learning experience that I have brought forward to my experience with restaurant workers community foundation what we'll get to um, but I also, at that time of my life, typed a hundred words a minute because I just like typed on my papers very diligently all through co- college. And, um, so I was like, why am I doing this? Like I work in an office and I started temping and my, uh, after I temped a couple of months, like the temp agency was like, Hey, there's this job at this small family foundation. Do you want to like, be you know, are you interested in interviewing for this general, you know, office manager job? And that was the Stockton Rush Bartol Foundation um, is a small family foundation in Philadelphia. The, and um, I got the job. And basically I was like the second right hand to like the executive director of the foundation for three and a half years. And I was like, Oh, what? There are these organizations that like exist to give money away. And they have like a huge amount of influence in how like things happen in social change. And I was just like, This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is my career. And my boss had a degree in social work. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll get a master's in social work, just like she did. Um, And I kind of had my sights set on, like, in Philadelphia, like, at the time, the big elephant in the room was the Pew Charitable Trust. And I was like, I want to be a program officer at the Pew Charitable Trust.
0: So that was it. Like, you saw that. You you said, go get the MSW, and I'm going to go to Pew.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, So I did get the MSW and I actually, along the way I'd done this interview, uh, informational interview with an organization called, um, was called the conservation company. It's now called TCC group, which is a big philanthropic consulting practice. And I did that interview, like, you know, while I was still at the Dr. Rush Bartle foundation before I went full time in grad school. And when I came out of there, out of grad school, I was like, they had, had a job open and they ended up hiring me based on like the previous conversation informational interview, like I did. So I always like tell anybody who's like getting started in nonprofits, like go talk to the people that you would like to one day work for. And just like a lot of people in nonprofits are really generous with their time. Um, way too generous with their time and they will talk to you if you like, say, this is why I'm like interested in your organization. I want to find out more. Da, da, da. I've done a million of them myself. So, um, anyway, so like when I came out of graduate school, I started working for this uh, nonprofit, you know, uh, this for-profit consulting firm that worked with philanthropies and nonprofits. And I worked for them for two years and then I got recruited from there to go work for Peter's charitable trust. Which is a huge uh, philanthropic organization and, all my, like, notions of, like, how perfect philanthropy is were disabused very quickly, and I became very jaded about philanthropy, and we can talk a whole lot more about that. I, I'm a, Obviously, I've had a 30-year career in philanthropy, so I, like, I love all that it can do, but anyone who's worked in philanthropy also knows how insular and weird it can be, too, so happy to talk about that. That's, like, a little starting point that, for how really- I got at it.
0: That's great. So, sort of the, but you can always give us the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is why I sort of I, I joked with you earlier about, you know, saying, would love to have you speak in front of a bunch of my nonprofit leaders. I mean, this certainly, this platform is great for that. Uh, but I do run a, a monthly nonprofit executive leadership roundtable. For those of you who are interested, just reach out to me, Tommy D at philanthropyandfocus.com, and we can get you some uh, LinkedIn on what we're doing there. Michael, I, I want to. We're going to go to break, and that's how fast the show goes. We're going to go to break in just about a minute, so we'll we'll be back. But I'd love for you to kind of take this, take us back to you know 2018, and and what what the problem we were solving. Excuse me, not we, you all were solving when it came to creating uh, this this particular foundation. Why? You know, what the? What is this a solution to? And then we'll dive into programs. But I will say, look, having grown up in in the restaurant business, and sort, certainly. Uh, As much as I am involved and want to be more involved in the nonprofit business, this is one of those crossroads meetings for me where we get to really explore two things that are super important to me. And I'm sure a lot of us grew up working in restaurants, man. It's how you get through college and high school at some points, you know, Mm -hmm. for for a lot of us. And and Mm -hmm. certainly those in the arts, you know, uh, actors and actresses end up in the restaurant business too, so we have a lot of them that plug into the show as well. So uh, we'll be back in two minutes. It's your buddy, the nonprofit Sector Connector with Michael from the restaurant workers community foundation where are we in the attic i'll see you guys in two minutes thanks michael
2: you're listening to talk radio nyc at www.talkradio.nyc now broadcasting 24 hours a day
3: are you a conscious co-creator
2: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions to so cut through all the
1: static.
0: I don't know. I've heard that song about a hundred times, and every single time, it gives me a chuckle because we were like working on the lyrics, and and we were like, what rhymes at attic? Oh, cut through all the static. So that was kind of the thing. It so it works. It works. Right. It's fun. And uh, I've, I've kind of coerced some of my guests to actually sing the song with me, but we'll, we won't put you on the spot. Man. <laughs> I, I've done some videos with me singing it and people go, would you mind not singing it next time? So anyway, <laughs> all right. So, so 30 year background in philanthropy and consulting, um, you know, has, has this TGI Friday story that we heard about in the past, basically, um, you know, restaurant workers, yeah, you can make good money, but they're, they're certainly, uh, they need advocacy, restaurants as a as an industry need advocacy. So along 2018, the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation is formed in 2018 as an advocacy and action nonprofit created for restaurant workers. Action nonprofit. Let's start there. What What does that mean?
1: So we're we're in the community foundation model. So if people are familiar with like other community foundations that have been out there forever, like a geographic community foundation like New York Community Trust started 100 years ago that really kind of its primary purpose is to raise funds and distribute those funds through grants. And those kind of geographic foundations functioned for years and years and years. And um, then in like the 80s, 70s and 80s, they started seeing other kind of demographically focused community foundations like women's foundations and then 90s LGBTQ foundations. But there wasn't really any foundations that we knew of that were uh, focused on a particular labor segment. So as far as we know, we're the first you know, organization, there are lots of other organizations working on restaurant worker issues. We love them. We support them with our grant dollars. Um, but there wasn't any organization that was raising funds and like you know, being a centralized kind of point for raising funds and distributing it and growing the network of those organizations serving restaurant workers. So that's our primary purpose. But like where it came from, they very, as these things tend to be very personal. Uh, story. Uh, so my husband, John, is the president of the foundation. And after the 2016 elections, um, he was, as many of us were, quite devastated. Some people were very thrilled with the outcome of that election, um, us not so much. And the morning after, after I t- called my mother and cried on the phone with my mother, I went into work at Philanthropy New York um, and cried with my coworkers and commiserated Unbeknownst to me, my husband, who was working from home at the time for Momofuku Restaurant Group, he was the bar director for Momofuku Restaurant Group for like all the chains. The, and he was at home still drinking from the night before and hiding his drinking and basically couldn't get out of bed for the pa- next five days and was kind of like went into this disassociative state. It was a real, it was Unprecedented and just like really disturbing and sad. And it took him a long time to work his way out of that. And as he was doing that, he was furiously texting with his um, friend and former Monfuku colleague, um, Alex Pamuli, who she had moved out to Seattle to start a a, a, um, sandwich shop chain with her husband. And they basically were like in this like text tear say why aren't restaurant workers more engaged in the issues that like affect their lives and like more you know motivated to like get involved politically and like you know there's like so many issues that like are kind of a microcosm of like so much of what's wrong with america that is like distilled in the most crystallized form in the restaurant business low wages um poor career mobility, sexual harassment and sexual gender um, inequality, racial inequality, terrible treatment of immigrants. Mm-hmm. And it really heightened like mental health and substance abuse issues. So, you know, because it's an environment that like there's so much drinking, but there's also a lot more going on besides just drinking. Like it's oh, a whole not, kind of a atmosphere.
0: There's a lot of access. Like, you know, yes. look, I, I grew up in that business and, you know, uh, sorry to cut up the story because I want okay. to hear, to kind of underscore that, you know, uh I don't know if I've shared this with my audience. Um, I quit drinking at 32.
1: Mm-hmm. I, you know,
0: I grew up in that business, as I say. So by the time I was 32, I like to joke about it, that I, I drank more than somebody drinks in an 80 year life, you know, <laughs> like, and that's, I joke, but it was pretty true. And that was sort of, you know, it, I stopped people around me didn't stop, you know, and right. I think, what the biggest challenge for, first of all, you just you, you mentioned a half a dozen things that people are up against challenges, whether it be mental health issues or being discriminated against. And, and then you have access to moves right there and, and access to many other things. Uh, for those of you who may not be aware of the restaurant business, but there's access to other um, substances. And that and a lot of that yeah. runs together substance abuse wise. We talk a bit. We've talked about in the past on, on this program about mental health issues, and and I get up here in the attic and I start stamping my floor on my feet on the floor in the attic. I don't try to bang in the desks and the camera moves and stuff like that, but I get cranky about it because mental health issues in this country, although that's not what we're here to talk about, there's such a stigma around mental health, yeah. and it's it's wrong. If I, I I've said it before, and maybe it sounds trite at this point, but if I if I break my arm or I cut my hand. Nobody's. There's no stigma around that. I go get the help I need But from a mental perspective, it's unfortunate. And and I know we're going to talk COVID and related to the to the organization as well. But I want to go back to you to to set that up. So yeah, John's going through these challenges. Him and Alex Mm -hmm. are connecting, and they're like, what's And and you you set it up so well. So what happens next? What they got? They have a problem. We've established a problem now. Right.
1: Yeah. So they're like, "Well, why isn't there like?" how could we like raise funds to like affect the change? And their uh, the original thinking was like, cause they're not in philanthropy or in nonprofits. They're just restaurant people. They're like, well, could we like raise funds to like, you know, do shareholder advocacy to get restaurants that like put Darden group, the, like the big kind of restaurant chains that really treat their restaurant workers terribly. Can we like somehow do shareholder advocacy? And they were like bouncing these ideas off of me. And I was like, well, you know, they're, That sounds like you could be doing impact investing. Like a lot of foundations have used their corpus to like invest in various ways, um, whether it's shareholder advocacy or kind of like investing in the kind of businesses that are doing well. So that is something that, you know, exists out there. So what
0: does that mean exactly, Michael? That means like not focusing on those who need to improve, but, but pushing more towards those who are doing it right, kind of rewarding organizations like
1: that. Yes and we should at some point in this conversation talk about as part of the COVID fund we established the restaurant uh, restaurant futures loan program it's a zero interest loan program for businesses trying to come out of the um, out of the crisis who want to use a pro worker kind of framework for their work mm-hmm. so so that was part of like the original thinking was like you know, how can we use funds that are raised, both grant making, but also community organizing. So our work from the beginning, from the concept, from that kind of like organized thinking around like early 2017, when we first started trying to form a board. And this was really just like Alex and John going to their professional network saying like, who wants to like get involved in this and forming a, a like a, a, a beginning board. But like that kind of, like, we're going to do three things. We're going to do grant making. We're going to raise funds for grant making and for community organizing and impact investing. So that three part model of like spend, you know, roughly for every dollar that we raise, we try to, you know, evenly distribute across those three areas has always been a part of our, like, the core part of our identity.
0: Say that for everybody one more time grant making, community organizing, and the third bullet.
1: Impact investing.
0: Impact investing, which we're going to get to. Yep. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. So, which is kind of the least well-developed area of our work. And we can talk about that because it's really complex. Okay. So... so in the spring of 2017, basically we started having meetings at Philanthropy New York in a conference room in Philanthropy New York with a bunch of people who were interested in being on the board and, you know, moving this forward. We started meeting with Lawyers Alliance. Um, Lawyers Alliance was absolutely crucial. I'm a huge fan of Lawyers Alliance of New York. Thank you to them for like helping us, you know, getting us together with pro bono lawyers to like get our, yep. you know, bylaws and our like applications to the IRS. And I've been on the fun, just, yeah, means, just
0: because you've been in philanthropy doesn't mean you've set up organizations, right? I
1: had no idea how hard it is to set up a nonprofit. Like I've been on the giving side for 30 years and like, I think probably blithely unaware of like just how hard it is to get something like that up and running. I now understand why people use like fiscal sponsors <laughs> so <Sure>. much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so because it was a year and a half of like applications, like filling out all the applications, it takes like, you know, forever for the, if you, you can do the like expedited version of the IRS 501c3, but then you have to go through the steps later on. So we just decided to do the full thing, right. you know, Mm long-term. And so like, you have to wait for that to be done. Then you have to apply to New York state to like, you know, for be to exist in New York state. And then you have to go back to the state and like apply to like be like, to be able to solicit funds in the state of New York, which is another process. All that took like a year and a half. So But we we consider our birth date the day we got the go ahead from New York State to like solicit funds in the state in September of 2018. So that is our kind of like birth date to us. We had like been doing a lot of like meeting, you know, quarterly of the the board, the forming board uh, during that time and kind of like thinking things through. But we didn't have any money to work with and we didn't have any way to ask for money until September of 2018. So that's really our beginning. And as soon as we got that permission, we were like, okay, let's have our first big event. It was a, a gathering of about 40 people in uh, our like very small, very small, 800 square foot apartment. Uh, so um, that was our first kind of like gathering. And we raised from the board and other folks about $11,000 for that first event. And we also, since we knew that money was coming in, we also made an announcement that we're giving away our first one-third in grant making. So we gave three $1,000 grants to um, Restaurant Opportunity Centers United, Brand Workers, and Outsmart NYC to try to hit some of our program areas. And just to be clear, like our program areas are the issues that I Talked yep. about earlier: wages and career letters, gender equity and sexual harassment, racial equity and fair treatment of immigrants, and mental health and substance abu- abuse.
0: So I think we're gonna let's do this. Let's take a quick break, sure. Because I think we're at a, a, a nice, uh, a nice opportunity to kind of tease people and hold them back and say we'll be back in two minutes, gang. It's Tommy D in the Attic, philanthropy and focus. Michael Romali is here and Michael, I'm excited to have you here because we're going to continue to dive into the impact. And again, this is my space, the nonprofit space and the restaurant space together, man. I, so well done. Michael, we'll be back in two minutes. Everybody else, meet us back here in the attic. Two minutes. Bye.
1: You're
2: listening to talk radio, NYC uplift, educate, and
0: Every Friday morning, join Tommy in his attic. That's where I want to see you 10 a.m. Eastern time. I was told, taught recently, I used to say Eastern Standard Time. And then a buddy of mine goes, it's not Eastern Standard. You got to just say Eastern Time. So I'm, um, and then it's maybe. It <laughs> I was news to me. I, I'm 43 years on this planet for me, man. I didn't know. I figured it out. So thank you, Sean, for teaching me that. All right. So let's 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 go like this. I'm on the website right now, which for you all is restaurantworkerscf.org. Okay. That's it. Restaurantworkerscf.org. Here's what I'm reading off the site. Wage fairness and career ladders gender equity and sexual violence racial justice and support for the immigrant community and then finally mental health and substance abuse these are the challenges that you guys have decided with the organization are important and you're going to address these challenges correct me if i'm wrong through grant writing community organization and then impact investing i think i kind of set it up right
1: Yes, grant making. Grant making. We end I up say, having to making? do some grant writing, but yes. <laughs> I, I, said,
0: grant, I said grant writing. I did not yeah, grant making. Right. Well, that's another thing. We you know the money comes it flows through, right? So it yeah, comes yeah, from somewhere yeah. else to you and then you, you send it out. Understood. Grant making, community organization, and impact investing. Yeah. Michael, take us back through this. You you set it up for us, you set up where you were, what what oh. what kind of the catalyst of this was, and, and now let's talk about how you're making an impact as an organization. Yeah.
1: So 2019 was the year of our, our first full fiscal year and we were really happy with that you know first we set a very modest goal in that year of raising thirty thousand dollars and like you know just get a slow start and we were really thrilled that like we did our own fundraiser first fundraiser we participate in some other fundraising events of like alcohol companies and then and we ended up surpassing our goal of and raised $40,000 in that first year and did another round of grant making distributing um $13,000 in grants that year to 11 different organizations so we're like and we also built up our board to 20 People, which is wow. one of our goals. Big board. Which was really important when 2020 came mm-hmm. because at that point we we're like, okay, we need to, like, you know, John and I were doing all, most of the work. And um, our board had signed off on hiring a social media, a part time social media person to like pick that up, which that person started May, the week of May 15th, 2020. <laughs> Interesting timing. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but the the 20-person board was really important because at our board retreat in January 2020, we said, okay, let, we really want to like really flesh out these committees that we have and like have greater leadership and like more diversity of leadership, like moving the work forward. Well, it sounds so, like it's a
0: working board. Otherwise it's yes, all on you and John. So if it you was, don't have, you have a kind of quasi-employee consultant yes. on social media, but other than that,
1: Yes, so, you, exactly. You we talks. have been an all volunteer organization all the way up until literally this week. We our new executive director started this week, who oh, I cannot yes. name because we're like, doing a uh, full uh, media rollout. in a couple. Right, weeks. right. right. I, I knew it was happening. I will not
0: I, I'm excited <laughs> for you guys. I'm, I'm thrilled, and if I can amplify that you know message for you, I want to do so. So make sure I know as soon as you start putting it out there, so I can help you with that.
1: So we had like this kind of growing leadership on our board and people, you know, somebody in charge of communication, somebody's in charge of event planning, somebody's in charge of, um, you know, uh, fundraising and governance and all those kind of things that a foundation should have committees for. Um, so that was really important when the... Um, crisis, the pandemic started bearing down upon New York City. And we weren't, were a national, we had aims to be a national organization, but, and we did have board members all across the country, but we really kind of like were best known in New York because that's where we did our first events and stuff like that. Um, oh, I should have also said that in 2019, we also developed these kind of like, draft guidelines for restaurants to help them think about like how they could be better for workers on workers on our four areas. So that was also important just to put that aside. Um, When the crisis was happening, we had an emergency meeting of a board the weekend before the 15th, and just as the restaurants were all being shut down. And our board the first thing that they said that they wanted to do was a resource page for workers and that was like in my mind the most important thing that we could do is just like put together information and like point restaurant workers in the right direction and i will say that like in the first 2 months of restaurant of the crisis at the, from that point on that page of resources was getting 20,000 hits a day it and it was you know, so much of our media, our media consumption is like New York based. So like a lot of it had to do with what New York workers could do, but we try to keep it as national as possible. Um, but in that board meeting and our, our virtual board meeting, the board also said, Oh, maybe we should start a, like a relief fund. You know, maybe we'll, re, you know, you know raise a few thousand dollars and do what we can to do our part, to like help people out. And like this structure of the fund, half of it should go to direct financial assistance, half a quarter of it should go to nonprofits serving restaurant workers with like crisis relief efforts like food assistance, pro bono legal assistance, um, domestic violence uh, assistance, um, things like that, that is separate from like direct financial assistance. And we want to set aside one quarter to help restaurants when the restaurants can get up and running again to get, help them get up and running again. So that is the structure that was laid out. And we were very clear about that. And like all of our messaging around the the crisis fund, that that's what it would go towards. And I think that that is a big part of our success mm-hmm. was like being very clear about this is how every dollar will get. This, this is where it's going to, this is
0: where it's going to go. So before, yeah. before we continue, I want to ask you this, <coughs> excuse me. I know the numbers. I'm sure we're going to talk about the numbers, but I want to tease it a bit. What was yeah. the goal for you? Set this out, and, and you know where the money's going to go, and, and you're going to explain this to donors and, and funders and right different yeah. sources. Yeah. What was the original goal to raise? We this?
1: had no dollar goal. We absolutely had okay. no dollar goal. I mean, I think that we were. Thinking, you know, literally, like we would be incredibly happy to raise a hundred thousand okay. dollars. Like, I think that 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 would. I mean, we never talked about it about a dollar goal, but I think in in our minds, like, r- like that would be that would be stellar. Three, right? That would be three times what we raised the year before. Right. You know so, what if mean? You're, so if you're comparing it to
0: history, you know what we've yeah. done in the past. You go, that's three yes. x. That's a big win, right? Yes. All right. So, yes. so it was. So, in your mind, sort of, maybe it was a hundred grand.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. And at the same time we were like launching this, some of our board members, especially John, had like really deep connections in the food in the food yeah. media business. And people were coming to us from Eater and from Bloomberg Pursuits and various other publications saying, hey, we know that restaurant workers has been doing work in this space. What are you doing about this crisis? Are you going to do a a fund? And we're like, oh, funny you mention it. We are just launching this fund today. And so right out of the gate, as everything was going haywire in the world, like we were getting all this media coverage about our our, uh, crisis fund. And basically after those first couple articles, like every article about a crisis fund for restaurant workers basically listed us as their, like, first thing. And there were lots of other crisis funds for restaurant yep. workers. One fair wage did a great one. Um, uh, the restaurant national restaurant associations, which we do not approve of. They're terrible people, but like um, they did one and we actually kind of talked with them about what they were doing and tried to be supportive. Cause we really believe like anybody who is raising funds for restaurant workers and, and getting it to restaurant workers in a conscientious way deserved, you know, to like, we listed them all on our resources page. Like any, any crisis fund for restaurant workers, we wanted our, our community to know about um, and the th- in that first week, we like um, basically got connected to Southern Smoke Foundation, which is a, a Texas-based organization that had been doing direct crisis relief for restaurant workers since Hurricane Harvey, specifically in Texas. But they had a whole case management system that we had no way we could do ourselves. so. They, you know, they've been doing it for a couple of years. They had the kinks worked out. They had like this whole online application process, and they had one case manager, possibly two, at the time. And um, so they had a system. So we we're like, we're not going to recreate the wheel. So basically, every. You know, for all the work, the money that we raise for direct stru- direct financial support goes to Southern Smoke Foundation. So we have. Hold it out. And so yes, let me just stop you for a second. Because I buried I, the lead on how much money we've raised. No, 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 no. Keep burying it. We're going <laughs> to keep, keep them for the whole
0: show. Here's the thing listen, folks. Listen to what Michael's talking about. If you don't have the infrastructure for a certain program or you don't have the assets, whether it be financial assets or people assets or whatever the case is, partner work with other organizations. I mean, it's natural for a foundation like this. I'm assuming Michael, it's natural for a foundation to look for partners, but other nonprofits gang, pay attention, look around. If there's somebody who's doing programs that look similar to yours last week, um, Jennifer Singer was here and we talked about a merger of, of, well, you sort of look like us. We sort of look like you. Why don't we combine and and be better for it? And that goes to what I talk about, you know, two plus two, you know, in math, it's four. I believe it is. Yeah, it is. I was working with my kids on math last night. It's four, but in networking, connecting, collaborating, it's some exponential number, much much higher than four. Yeah. So, Michael, do we want to do we want to tease the the uh, the numbers, or should we just say it now before we go to a quick break? We should probably just say that we. Uh, how much did you raise? So you you, if you thought about it? It was a hundred grand, maybe. So as
1: of end? the end of March. Thir- March 31st of this year, we have raised about $7.2 million just for the COVID fund. And then about another million plus for general general support of uh, restaurant workers core mission work. So,
0: so this is an idea that John and Alex are angry about some things that are going on in the world and say, we need to make an impact and we need to make an impact specifically in a space that we love and care about in a space that was good to us, the restaurant business.
1: Mm-hmm. And it was an
0: idea. Like everything you look around the room, you're in the room that I in, it all started as an idea in someone's mind. Mm-hmm. And this idea has now taken or has raised and accumulated over $8 million for people and businesses that really truly need it. Mm-hmm. So first I say, before we take a quick break, I say thank you for what you're doing because it's incredible. Thank you, and John and Alex and the team because it's a great impact. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about a couple things. I want to talk about who and where and 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 what's going to happen next. Who do you want to meet? Where can I connect you and what's the future of this organization? So we'll be back in two minutes. Tommy in the attic, the nonprofit sector connector. We'll be right back with Michael. Thanks.
2: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC Uplift, Educate, Empower.
3: Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID 19 related employment laws?
2: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. non need connections to move in good
1: directions. So cut through all the static.
0: Join Tommy
1: in his attic.
0: You are on out turn there i heard a bit of static so we were cutting through that static let's sneak through this static join me in the attic every friday morning 10 a.m where we amplify the message for nonprofits that are making incredible impact and certainly the restaurant workers community foundation raising over eight million dollars are making just that sort of impact so michael let's let's break it down to where do we go from here what's the future of this organization who do you need to meet and and what can we share with people
1: Well, uh, goodness. Uh, The future of the organization is like complex. So we've started a whole bunch of initiatives over the past year. Obviously, we have uh, encouraged people to go to the FAQ on our website about the um, COVID fund and how we've distributed those funds. So we've funded about uh, 40 plus organizations over the past year all around the country doing crisis relief work and structural change work in the industry. Um, so we have a growing network. Of nonprofits all across the country that care about restaurant workers and are doing you know all kinds of different work, some are doing crisis relief work, some are doing mental health work for restaurant workers, some are doing gender gender equity and sexual harassment work and some of it overlaps so we 're really trying to start like really networking those organizations and sh- giving them opportunities to share their experiences and what their challenges are and I'll obviously continue to give them resources so they can keep doing their work. So, but in the midst of all that, we were also kind of, we launched the restaurant managers network. So we put out a call last June. We put together a big resource packet for restaurant managers to talk with. At the time, it looked like some restaurant, a lot of restaurant workers might be going back to work and like, but there was like a lot of outstanding questions about like how you connect restaurant workers to resources. Government resources can be very tough to get a hold of or understand. And there's like lots of things that, you know, restaurant managers don't know what to tell their, ter- their workers. So we put that together, that resource packet. Thank you to Rebecca um, Pankovics, who really led that work. Um, it, so at the same time, we launched this restaurant Managers network and said, hey, we, we think that like restaurant managers are really the kind of linchpin in cultural and policy change within organizations. There's lots of policy changes that need to happen with government, but like a lot of the change that need to happen to restaurant workers are the relationships between owners and workers and how they get treated. Um, so, we launched that, we are just, we now have like a volunteer leadership group that is kind of like mapping out what they want the network to do and how to recruit and like how to present information on the website and how to like start planning virtual and online and live events in the future for the restaurant managers network and like let it become something big. We also, um, this year, um, on March second, uh, launched the Racial Justice Fund, the Restaurant Workers Racial Justice Fund, which is the has the same basic concept of our uh, of the COVID Fund in the sense that like we are raising funds and distributing funds, mm-hmm. um, and that is led by Steve Ali, who is a volunteer who came to us originally was a volunteer. He's now um, a part time paid consultant for the project, but he came to us as an out of work line cook. He's based up in Syracuse. Um, and basically, you know, it was like, I really believe in what you're doing. I want to volunteer. And he was got involved in the uh, fundraising committee and just like knocked it out of the park. Anything that we asked him to do, he did and was just incredible at it. And uh, last June, when we're having a lot of people ask us what we're planning, you know, how are we responding to um, the, the uprisings that were happening, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and trying to, and there were a lot of conversations in the industry about like how food media like covered um, uh, people of color issues and like equity in every aspect of the system. And we said, we didn't want to just like willy nilly kind of, say we're going to do whatever. We took a very long nine month process of community of talking to community and, and, um, identifying steering committee members to basically like map out what this racial justice fund should be. And we launched it last, um, in March, this coming, this past March. Uh, and so we're now raising funds for that. So we have like a whole bunch of things going on programmatically. And up until this month we have been an all volunteer organization with you know two kind of contractors um and so this year we're really focusing now that we're going to have an executive director kind of like figuring out you know we've bitten off a lot and um you know really need to concentrate on like executing those things Um, we feel like all the things that we have started are really incredibly important um, but we also you know need to get our executive bo- director on board and really have her start talking to a lot of people about what we're doing why we're doing and what her priorities are so in terms of like who we want to talk to and who we want to network with yes I would say that our relationships right now are very You know, there are 15 million restaurant workers in the United States. It's a huge number of people. And I would say a minuscule number of those people know that we exist. So that's our first priority is like having to every to, to
0: to so not as much to get to the restaurant tours but to get to the those individuals who were working the line cook the bus boy you know mm-hmm. the, the GM you know back of house front of house the whole deal so they so they're aware of you so some some sort of yes. campaign around that of awareness yes
1: yes this is a as you said at the, at the beginning of the show this restaurant this organization is by workers for workers. We absolutely believe that restaurant owners are restaurant workers. Fair but not. you know they have different perspectives and our work is about the most marginalized people in our community. Um, but restaurant owners and restaurant managers have always been a part of our community, our organizing community. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, they are parts of our board and we love them, but you know, our work is really about engaging restaurant workers and getting them involved in the issues that affect their lives. So that is really important to us is just make sure every restaurant worker across the country knows that we exist and that, you know, they can get involved in various ways. We have a very strong volunteer uh, Program Like, so basically anybody who wants to get involved in some way in, Russia, in our work and the, the many aspects of our work can do that. But in terms of like the other kind of relationships that you're probably asking about in terms of like, you know, nonprofit professionals and mm-hmm. like funder networks and stuff like that, we, um, the, as soon as we like had, were clear what our organizational budget was for this year, we joined Philanthropy New York. We, uh, I am a, obviously a, a Philanthropy New York acolyte. I cannot wait till things start opening up again, and we start like you know, see
0: people go to the place exactly. Right?
1: I mean, I am still like encouraging all Philanthropy New York's board members to participate in as many online Philanthropy New York events as they can, and get involved in things like the uh, Workforce Funders Group and stuff like that. But you know, obviously, we are also a development organization. Like, I need to connect as the fundraising chair. I am very cognizant of um, starting to think about who when this new executive director is ready to start talking with the broader public, how to connect her to, you know, funders, but also to media, a whole rollout campaign and like who we want to talk to when Um, I just, we need to make sure that she feels really, really comfortable talking about the history of our organization and what her own priorities are as she takes on this like vast amount of work. So um, I would say like, our kind of funder base is most nonprofits would be very jealous of how diverse our funder base has become. Um, We have like a lot of corporate donations from like a lot of restaurant groups and, um, and beverage companies and restaurant supply companies. Um, But like, basically like our online donations just from like normal people all across the country, like huge, it like, I think about, don't quote me on this because I'm not looking at the FAQ at the moment, but like, and I have to update the FAQ. Um, But it like, I think like 1.5 million of the 7 million we raised was from small donors, like Mm -hmm. under like, under $50 donations, I love it,
0: but that means that I just got to pull it back because we're almost at time. But I want to yeah. say that that, that to me is those small donors, right? We like big checks, but little checks are great too. Lots Absolutely. of them. Right? So that's awesome. But that tells me that your donors are also those people that are recipients of these dollars and, and the support because they're looking out for your organization because you've looked out for them. So here, here's what I want to do. How do they get in touch with you, Michael? And then I'm going to bring it home.
1: Um, they can get in touch with us by going to the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation's website, which is restaurantworkerscf.org.
0: Restaurantworkerscf.org.
1: So we're also on all the, on the main social media. We're on <laughs> Instagram. We have a very large following on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter, all those places.
0: All right. Awesome. You guys know every single week we run out of time way before we run out of things to talk about, but that's just what happens in the attic. Michael Romali, one of the original founders and and creators of the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. Thanks for being here in the attic with me. I appreciate you. I got a couple of announcements, everybody. Don't forget, if you're a nonprofit or you're a leader or a board member, the roundtables are the first Thursday of every morning. I run them here on Zoom, the Nonprofit Executive Leadership roundtables. Michael, you need to know this. The New York City Imagine Awards applications are due May 10th. Please, if you need questions answered for me, an from me on that because you guys certainly deserve to be in the running for an imagine ward next week judy isaacson elias founder and president of heroes to heroes foundation which they do incredible work uh bringing uh veterans to the holy land for, to help them go through ptsd and, and different challenges that they're going through you know how to get me tommy on the instagram email tommy d at philanthropy and focus um Two things I want to tell you, Michael, before you go. I got to hook you up with my boys over at Premier Payroll. They're heavy, heavy in the hospitality space. I have some other connections I wrote down for you. We'll talk about it later on. Listen, stay tuned. Steve Fry, Always Friday, here on the network, talkradio.nyc. Jeremiah Fox, followed by him, and Joseph McElroy. I'm your boy, the nonprofit sector connector. Top of the house, attic, whole thing. Michael, thanks for being here. Everybody, make Thank it a you. See you later.
2: Nonprofits need connections
1: in
3: good directions, so come through all the static,
2: join Tommy in his attic. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc, now broadcasting 24 hours a day.
3: weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc.